Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. I'm, my name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Rabbi Mali Bravsky, who is a, uh, a professional social worker and uh, uh, a teacher and educator at MMY in Yerushalayim, and with Rabbi Johnny Solomon, an educator, an educational writer, and a speaker who uh, teaches around the world. In light of our discussion last week, I want to pick up on our discussion last week and, and talk about one of the things that we don't talk about. I use it as a springboard to talk about what I would consider the, the limits of orthodoxy. We, we began by discussing, by using as a springboard, the very public uh, Facebook post and the support for that Facebook post that a rabbi uh, wrote uh, about the, the, the wedding that he performed for two men, the, homo- the wedding for the homosexual wedding. And I want to make clear, we're not going to talk about the, the, the people themselves, the couple themselves, but rather what I want to discuss is, is uh, the rabbis, the group of rabbis that support this behavior, this activity, as, as rabbinic activity, officiating at same-sex weddings. And, you know, I will say, I don't think that that's an orthodox perspective, but I want to ask two questions. The first question is, how is it that someone who, can, who considers himself or can consider himself an Orthodox rabbi and at the same time uh, perform a wedding that, that or a, a wedding that to our mind, to my mind, I'll just speak about myself, is, is antithetical to the values of the Torah? Meaning, where is that level of compartmentalization that says, yes, I'm Orthodox, whatever that means? But at the same time, I can officiate at a, at a wedding of two men. And then the second question I want to ask is, in light of that, are we just, is it all semantics? Meaning, is it just, like, orthodox is a word. Does that word mean anything? And should it mean anything? So I'm going to start with Molly and ask the first question. Oh, no, really? There okay, we go. That's the first question. And remember, we're going to leave, we're leaving, like, the individuals. It's not about the couples. It's not about pe- people's personal lives. It's about rabbis. It's about a rabbinic group of people who consider themselves, and I also want to make clear that we, we, I, that we have discussed this. This is not an attack on Chovei Torah, and I don't even think it's an attack on open orthodoxy. This is a small subset of these rabbis. There are many Chovei Torah graduates who do incredible work out there, and I don't, I don't like lumping people, and, and somebody made that point to me. Johnny, you made that point to me, and I think it's correct. We're talking about individual rabbis who have, who have publicly supported this specific behavior. So here's my question, Molly. Yeah. How could, can you be orthodox and perform a non-halachic covenantal, covenantal marriage between two men in your mind? And if you can't, how do you explain a phenomenon where people say, I am orthodox, but I nonetheless will perform such a marriage? Okay, so um, this is a tough one. All right, so I want to start off by saying that I, 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 even though we aren't going to talk about the couple or anything like that, I do think it's important to say a few words. I think that the challenge of homosexuality is is perhaps the greatest challenge that as a, whatever word you want to use here, halakha community, orthodox community, um, we have to face as teachers, as rabbis, as educators, um, as community members, as community leaders. We need to, it, it's real, um, you're talking about people's lives, you're talking about their feelings, um, you're talking about real existential dilemmas and, and, and about people like you're talking DNA nefashos on so many levels, not just in terms of the level of the person's emotional well-being, but like I, I think you have to think long and hard about questions like um, you, you know what message you want to give to people about again how we view them and all that stuff. But leave that aside. What kind of a life you want them to lead? Are you? Do you is it very? It's it's not obvious to me that that um, it's very simple to say to somebody um, live alone. And I don't think I think that there are actually orthodox rabbis that Ruby you would consider in the in the fold of what even, you know, pretty mainstream, who who have ways in private to, to deal with that. So, um, and I'm not going to say more about that. Um, but I, but think- I, I would agree with that. And I, 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 I'm, that's why I tried. I mean, I'm not good at this very often, but trying to sort of li- like limit the discussion to the rabbis. Because right. I agree okay. with you. It, so, you know, that's right. really, I, just think I think it needs you're, to be said. 100%. Right? I, totally, because, I totally agree with that. I totally agree. It's a, I, it's a yeah. difficult, difficult question, which is why I don't want to talk about 
the people themselves or ask right. questions about how people should live their lives. And, and you're right, right. they're connected. They're and connected, it's not just how people should live their lives. It's how we as community members and community leaders and rabbis and teachers and uh, ramim and yeshivas, how we make space for gay people and, and communities, how we in communities make space for gay people. And that includes public policy. There's so many questions here. And there might be a lot more room then, um, right, there definitely is more room than, than perhaps we're discovering the, the room. We're trying to figure it out, but we're trying to figure out um, how to balance that appropriately. And, and, and that's kind of where I would take your question, which is, I, I think for me, the answer is that it's important for each person, right, e each person involved in a dialogue to very much stand in their own integrity, right? So like, um, um, I, I I come to conversations or or to whatever it is. Every every individual who's part of of this interaction between uh, the gay community or or a gay individual has to come for sure, obviously, with um, empathy and with learning and with a willingness to hear and to understand because it's something new that they perhaps don't know about. And I think that that's probably the most transformative thing for people is to actually listen. To people's life experiences and listen to what they, how, what it's, what it's like to, to discover that you're gay and orthodox. Um, that being said, right, I, I, again, the best phrase I can think of is living in your integrity, because if you are a, let's now go to your question of an orthodox rabbi or an orthodox leader in any way, right, so that, that can be a broad spectrum of, uh, you know, positions. Yes, but I, I again. Wait, wait, wait. No, I think okay, we're talking no, no. about Orthodox rabbis Rab officiating in So let's narrow capacity. it to rabbis. Let's narrow it to rabbis. Right. Do you have to stand in your integrity, which is, um, what is your personal commitment to slash relationship with uh, the halachic system? How do you view um, how the system works? both in terms of a technical system and what's allowed and what's not allowed within the system, and that influences what you say is permitted and not permitted, and that that um, influences your advice. And also, I believe, and this is maybe trickier, but we, we have to start thinking about, honestly and seriously, um, what we think the underlying principles and values are of that system. And I'm saying that very carefully, um, because, right, because... You know, you, you know, Ruby, you kind of like said something very broad, which is, this is, how, how could an Orthodox do something that's so obviously usher in the Torah, right? Now, so there's so many ways. No, I didn't say that. I said antithetical to Torah values. Antithetical to Torah, which is, right, exactly. You said antithetical to Torah values. Now, to you, that's obvious that this is antithetical to Torah values. There are people who don't necessarily believe that anymore, right? They may believe um, that there's a technical violation. I'm not saying this is what I think. I'm being very careful to, to kind of just talk about a spectrum of people's beliefs. They mm -hmm. may think there's a technical issue in the Torah that has to do with a certain sexual act. That is not allowed, but they don't necessarily believe um, that, that like the concept of a, a homosexual relationship is antithetical to Torah values, right? Now, that's not a question we necessarily should be having right here and right now. I think that's a question that each person has to think about, and, and it, it, it applies, like, it's so complicated, right? Like, what's Judaism's d d view of, again, gender, complementarity? If you do believe that, that like, Judaism fundamentally believes that, that, that it's not just a technical sexual act, but that, like, the, the fundamental, like, Jewish value is a male and a female. Where does that, where Wait, does that... I, I want to stop you a second because you're... Okay, you're so I'll tell important... you why I'm saying all this. I'll no, tell I you just why want to stop you one second because I want you to clarify. Because you're saying it's not specific to homosexuality per se. It's a broader question of, of is halakha, is Judaism uh, a, a, you know, a compendium of specific rules and laws and, you know that don't have a broader application that, you know, you say, okay, there's a technical and, and there, and, but we can use our modern values and try to merge those two things. Right. Or do those laws, you know what I'm saying? You can take it in anything. Exactly. It doesn't have to so do, or do exactly those laws, are they, right. are they the representative of a larger worldview that has to, Correct. Be, that has to be, right. And know, those expressed. are, and I believe that one has to look at Halakha and Torah as yes, um, 
a repository of values, which, by the way, again, I want to be very clear, that there can still be a lot of room for a lot of space, for a lot of complexity, and for a lot of individuality, and for a lot of, let's say, individual sub-pockets that, that, that but, but still you believe there's a normative thrust and a normative message, and what do you believe that message is? Um, and, 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 and it could be that different people have different ideas of that. And your question, Ruby, I think, is like, are there red lines with an orthodoxy, right? So my answer is, I think that a rabbi, right, and if that's what we're talking about, rabbis, need to stand, and the phrase I always use is halachic integrity, right? When I, when I tell people like, oh, I don't know who to follow, which I'm going to follow, I say, figure out what your hashkafa is, right, what your perspective is, um, to all these value, you know, questions, then find a rabbi who, who basically is in line with your hashkafa, but who you also respect his halachic integrity, which means that you respect the way in which he interacts with sources, um, with the, the traditional ways in which those sources are interpreted, whether he grounds himself very firmly in a um, in a sense of how the halachic process works. Is he is he does he feel bound to those laws? Which again, there may be a spectrum of what that means. But my point is that I I am more comfortable saying first of all, I look for rabbis who I feel that their sense of a, a, their hashkafa, and B, their sense of how halacha works, right? And their, and their sense of halachic integrity, which means their willingness to, to follow lines, are in line with where my sense of hashkafa and halachic integrity is. Um, and therefore, I would say on these questions, that's what I think all rabbis need to be doing. Um, and it's possible that there are rabbis who are who, who, whose place on that spectrum is not where I am, Right, but they may feel that that their place on that spectrum is a legitimate place, right? And that's where the interesting question comes up, which is like, do I have a right to? Do we as a community have a right to say you are over the line? Um, and 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 that's that. Leave that question open for now, and kind of send it. To We're going to come back to that question, Johnny. Can you respond, please, to what Molly said and uh, try to answer the question in your own way? <laughs> well, there's a wide range of questions. <laughs> Number one is relating to the term orthodox um, and you ask basically can somebody do something which you believe and I think most of us would broadly agree with is at least challenges uh, the wider spirit of the law of Torah um, and still use and insist on using the label orthodox I think that's an important question the second question really is uh, why is there a groundswell of support for something which at least some people seem to be kind of almost a, an open and shut case. Uh, so I'd like to just spend a few moments just going a little bit back about the term orthodox, but also then considering why I think we are where we are, again, without specifically referring to this particular couple, nor necessarily the individual concerned, as you say, this is a wider question about labels within the rabbinate and, and how, um, how people use them in justification of positions and actions. Wait, Johnny, so before, before you come to that, yes. do you agree with Molly's um, description that that of melding a personal worldview, meaning that the, the, the dynamic of trying to find the range of halakha and a worldview? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm, 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 maybe I'm not articulating it properly, but the idea of that there's a, there's, a, there's a spectrum which a person can have Within which you can be have a, what you, what you call integrity, where they're one on the one hand have allegiance to halacha, but on the other hand have a certain leeway, and then we're all discussing what the red line is. Do you agree with her formulation, or so, would you so formulate I would, it differently? I broadly agree, but let me, I made reference to this a few weeks ago. This lovely idea uh, cited by Rabbi Sachs based on the first Rashi Al Torah. The word reshit refers both to Torah and Am Israel, and the ultimate halachic question is balancing the needs of people versus the laws of Torah. Basically, with reference to same-sex marriage, there seems to be a conflict. Uh, at least, in my view, uh, sanctioning a ceremony that uh, affirms a, a relationship which, underpinning it, uh, conflicts with the Torah law is deeply problematic. Nonetheless, supporting people who have often felt very marginalized within communities, often for no good reason, no justified reason, is also part of the Torah ethic. And within the conversations and, uh, and literature on this topic, 
you actually basically find people conflating the two. Uh, both this rabbi, but many others too. They basically say, because I care so deeply about these people, this particular couple, or, or more broadly, those who are seeking partnership with those of the same sex, I'm prepared to go out on a limb and, and uh, go contrary to Jewish tradition in order to support that reishit versus that reishit. And that's really how this question has been framed. Uh, and, and those who criticize critics of this whole question basically say, how can you not understand that being there for people is part of the Jewish mission? And I'd say it totally is. But also, uh, you know, representing Torah values, being an ambassador for the laws that we have been passed down from, uh, from generations is also uh, part of our duties. And so therein, you have a religious leader who understands the needs of their communities and is sympathetic and it reaches the depths of their soul. Nonetheless, they're making a choice between one versus the other. And what I personally think is, uh, I mean, okay, you know, well, let's put aside the history of the word orthodox, which itself, by the way, it, you know, an orthodox Jew doesn't use that term, as Rob Hirsch famously said. It's a term used to, to place one form of Judaism within a certain set of other categories. Where there is reform and conservative, you have orthodox. But basically, orthodox don't really use that term and it's not a term that we came up with, it came up, it was, you know, produced it about 200 years ago, around the time of Napoleon's Sanhedrin. Uh, okay, but, so you want so to move into the second adjective, topic. Let's move, let's move this into, adjective, yeah. orthodox, is problematic. But nevertheless, going back to the, to the wider question, uh, I genuinely believe that numerous communities actually uh, are not sufficiently inclusive according to what halakha expects of them, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, those who are LGBT. And uh, what's basically happened is they've forbidden that which is permitted. And I think what's resulted is what is forbidden has now been permitted. You know, there's a famous line by Rashi, And I think there are communities who have been less inclusive than Jewish law requires them to be. And there is a pushback. There's a pushback of people saying, one second, I feel utterly alienated from my community and I thought you spoke for values and that's now represented in this ceremony and others. So that's kind of how I see things and I broadly agree with Mali's uh, description of, of this balancing act but uh, every person makes choices uh, and this individual made his particular choice but the label orthodox I think is a misnomer here um, uh, and more broadly the fact that he felt compelled to do so, I think comes as a result of a context, notwithstanding my position on the particular ceremony at hand. Okay, uh, thank you. I, I, um, I want to now turn to the, the issue of orthodoxy, uh, what it means to be um, orthodox today. And as Johnny sort of alluded to, like, you know, it's not a halachic word. It doesn't mean anything. You know, there's nowhere in the Shulchan Aruch says that a person has to be orthodox. It, you know, it's a sociological term. And so then the, the question then becomes, is that, is that important? Like, why do people, on the one hand, say, yes, I, I am orthodox, but on the other hand, they, 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 they feel the need to be orthodox? Let them just say, I don't, I don't need to be orthodox. I don't need to be a member of that community. Uh, and how can you balance what it means to be orthodox and, and then have the, sort of the flexibility and feel yourself have the flexibility within the halakhic system? But it's interesting to me as an as an American Jew. I I you know when you when you me at living in Israel now for the past you know more than a decade, you start to see and especially I've been exposed to a number of different Orthodox communities around the world. You know I, I think about it, it's, it's so fascinating. You know in in England where Johnny you come from, it was a very I've been exposed to it recently. Like there's the official United the official synagogue is quote unquote an Orthodox synagogue. But that very, means very little about the membership of that synagogue, and it's, it's explicitly such. I Meaning, there's no like litmus test, and it's, it's very well understood that it says nothing about the level of observance about the community. But the community itself is orthodox. So that's one month. I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd add even further, by the way, and this is something that uh, Rabbi Abraham Levy, who I uh, studied from over a period of years, used to remark. He said. Sfaradim don't even use the term orthodox at all because there isn't reformed Sfaradian, conservative Sfaradian. <laughs> we, we don't have this adject, uh, adjective kind of laden description of Jewish. Either you're Jewish or you're not. 
No, uh, but they have Masorati. The whole point of Orthodox which, occurs only from yeah. within certain sections of the community. Correct. And, and think, generally, yeah. Correct. Sorry, Whereas in, in the United States, where I'm from, you know, at least, you know, ortho, it's interesting. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. I went to an Orthodox shul. I thought the whole world was like us. We were in a young Israel. Everybody was more or less Shomer Shabbat. And, you know, I, I really didn't notice anyone who wasn't. And all of a sudden I got to uh, my, my first shul in West Hartford, Connecticut. And it was vast. It was, it was like the old time Orthodox shul. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really aware of such things, but the vast majority of people drove to shul. The parking lot wasn't, wasn't locked. I had a member of my shul who liked to who liked to joke that he put an Arab over his minivan so that he wouldn't violate, you know, Hotzar Bishut when he drove to Shul on Shabbat. And, you know, like that was it was that kind of place. And like I remember my first my first Yom Kippur, like after after Yisker, I was like all excited. Oh, everybody came to Shul finally, and Yisker was over, and like literally it was like you know Yitziat Mitzrayim. And then I, I you know it was like it was it was an epiphany to me what the vast majority of American Orthodoxy was like throughout the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, until Orthodox resurgence. And then the word came to mean something different. It just yeah. came to mean something something vastly different. And so, so like, you know, my wife was commenting to me today, who are we to be the Orthodox police? Like, you know, how do we get to decide what what is and isn't Orthodox? And then, like, is does it mean, is it important? Is it an important word in, in today's day and age? And I'm I'm curious to, to know Johnny what you think about that. Ask you first, and then and then uh, we'll go to Mali. Listen, as, as mentioned, the term itself is a construct used by others on a certain group within Judaism to individuate it from other groups within Judaism. Wait, one second. Would you agree well, today? Do you don't think Orthodox people think that it's important? You're saying other people do, but you no, think I that... think Orthodox people think it's important because they also believe that there needs to be a, a clarity. Uh, categorizing them from other denominations. But as mentioned, I think Orthodox people where those other denominations are of a meaningful size, it's a meaningful label, such in the US. It's a less meaningful label in the UK because <coughs> just the dynamic is oper operates uh, differently. And amongst Faradim, it's a meaningless statement. So where you come from has a vast impact on how much weight you put into that label. You know, even the term modern Orthodox, which is a subcategory of Orthodox. Many people will say, I'm modern Orthodox. I don't use a label. I, as Rabbi Sachs once said, why would I use a subcategory of a label from within a wider category, which highlights certain fractures within the Jewish people we're trying to at least um, redress? That seems crazy. So for some people, labels are a big deal. For other people, they're not. In terms of surveys, I suppose they're fairly useful. But ne necessarily, you know, I suppose uh, it also depends on how a person feels. I'll just give you one quick anecdote. You know, about uh, a year ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. And we were talking about the use of the word Haredi. I said, you know, I think I'm a Haredi. I spend almost all my day either learning Torah or teaching it, right? I dove and I teach. Like, and that's, I'd hope to think that that's a serious expression of what it means to be uh, trembling in terms of my awareness of God's presence in the world. You know, and my friend said, you're not, Jimmy. I said, why? What, because I wear a blue shirt? You know, is that really the sum total of what it means to be Haredi? And the answer is really, it's about the the social setting within wherein you live. It's not really to do with what I do or don't do, because, uh, you know, just as much as there may all be very, very fearful uh, and, uh, and dedicated, loyal Jews within necessarily the, the conservative movement and lax Jews within orthodoxy, the point is one person chose to use that label one person didn't. That only is meaningful in the world where labels count. Molly. So, yeah, eats their own. Johnny, finish what you're saying? Yeah, sorry. All right, so I, I, I've been thinking about this while you guys were talking. So I think I definitely agree that the, the, the labels, um, okay, this is how I'd say it. Labels matter when people are struggling with um, definition. And, and again, I'd like to put it back to self-definition, right? Meaning you're also much more preoccupied with who you're not, who, so, who I'm not when you're trying to figure out who I am, right? Precisely. So like, that's even, you know, Johnny's what Johnny said before about like where the label orthodoxy came from. Well, it came when, when movements decided that they were going to change what traditional observance of Judaism looked like. 
right? And so then it's like, well, we look like this, right? And 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 reform and conservative and you know in Europe or whatever. Okay, then then you know Rep. Hirsch is like, okay, then we are this. We are orthodox. And the truth is that there. I'll even say it this way: there are times when making those labels and setting those lines are important, and those times are when there are actually machlokot within a community and be within the individual deciding where it is that he wants to stand. And sometimes you figure out, like, again, on a communal level and on an individual level, are there lines, where are there lines? And I, I, I don't think that that's unimportant. And I think that the work that, that was done during, during those years was actually very important, right? And, like, you know, and, 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 it's, and it's legitimate work and important work, you know, of Hirsch and how closed and how open should he have been with his Gemeinde. And, and I remember my shul rabbi, um, in the 80s, getting flack because he was willing to be on a panel with reform and conservative Jews, which today is a joke, right? But in the 80s, when people were still very defensive about orthodoxy and they felt that orthodoxy was under attack, it still felt like sanctioning other denominations meant something about the weakness of your position and your denomination. You needed to make those walls high to preserve yourself. Um, I, I, I just the image that came to my mind was was like um, I, I, I get up I once again use the image of my students right when my students are struggling with like um, well, my community at home what my parents do and I and now that I came to Israel and now I'm learning the halacha so I say to them like right now you're butting up against your parents and your communities and you're very very engaged in like how you're different from them because you're in a process of figuring out who you are and what you believe. But once you've gone through that, and again, I want to go back to like on a communal perspective, it's legitimate and it's important. That's why we have articles. Again, that's why we had these conversations in the 80s about, yes, you know, um, limits of, of interaction also with the non-Jewish world, right? Like these were important conversations at the time. You know, you have articles by Ruchenstein about what centrist orthodoxy is. How is it different than, Johnny, you're not Haredi. Um, Molly, why are you saying at the time? Why is, do you think exactly. today so is any different? Yes, it is. I'll tell you why. So why are you not Haredi, Johnny? You're not Haredi because you have different views than Haredi on certain um, values. And I would say they are probably Zionism, women's issues, and, um, you know, whether you send your kids to the army, is there another one? Um, and, and then there are probably a few other issues, right? But, like, for you, that's like, oh, but there are Haredi who believe that. Sure, and of course that's true, which is why, Ruby, we are sort of now in a place most of us, many of us as communities, where, thank God, we're very clear about where our lines are, where our values are, who we are, and where we are. And once we're in that place, and once we can stand firm in that place, I know myself, I know my hashkafic world, and I know my halachic world. Once I'm in that place, I be much more... Um, tolerant of, open to, blurring of, welcoming of lines um, for other people, you know, and that's where Johnny's like, well, maybe I'm a little Haredi, I'm the same way, I'm like, I'm a little Haredi, right, or like, and I, and I respect the Haredi world, and, and don't label that guy as Haredi, do you know that they have three kids in, you know, the army, and then one kid in Yeshiva Gavoha, like, why, why are you putting these labels, they're not important, labels, meaning, what I'm trying to say to you, Ruby, is that after, when we've gotten to a place where people are very confident in their in their in the space that they occupy, and they're clear about what it means, right, to be a let's just use the word eved Hashem, right, or an oved Hashem, I would say. Then you have the luxury of being you're clear, you're clear on what your tent is. You have the luxury of how open do I want to make the walls of my tent, and and how inclusive do I want to be, and how tolerant do I want to be of others, because it's it's. It's done, right, so, I, Molly? I think you've articulated. I think I think you've articulated so perfectly. That's exactly the point. If a rabbi can get up and say, "I will officiate at a covenantal agreement between two men," that's antithetical to halakha and call that orthodoxy. I don't think that we're at a level of confidence of what it means to be of what it means to be an obed Hashem. We're still arguing about that. We're still arguing about that definition. Different people are. So this is so. What I I think it's also interesting that because. Sociologically, when you look at, you know, America, certainly, the and even Israel, right, the belief in the early 1900s was that orthodoxy was the dying breed, 
right? And that the future was was you know a more a, a, a more evolved type of Judaism. And where we our vantage point today, it's become pretty clear, I think, to most people for whom continuity of Judaism is important, um, is that essentially the halachic system as it is as as it is um, embodied by a system that takes allegiance to halacha extremely seriously, right? Let's just call that orthodoxy for now, is the, is, is, the, is the wave of the future, right? That's where the success lies, right? Orthodoxy works in a way that, that denominations that are less careful about the rules that hold halacha together don't. And so people start, have started to recognize that, 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 that binding yourself to some type of halachic system, which has broadly been, been tagged with the label of orthodoxy, um, is important because those because that that system is the one that's going to guarantee some type of of um, cohesiveness and continuity for for the Jewish people and therefore many people want to affiliate with orthodoxy and they say no I'm orthodox because I do believe in halacha now Ruby um, may not agree with what they define as believe in halacha right Where, how wh what are the lines closed is the, is the shulchan aruch closed does the, the, the Talmud closed wait wait one second you have to distinguish importantly between members, between Hamon Am, right. who want to affiliate, which I totally agree with, they want to affiliate, meaning who's perfect? I don't want people to know what I do in my personal life no, or what okay. have you. Right. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the, the rabbi and the denomination, the accepted right. principles of the denomination. Okay. Of course, so, I think, an or, like I want every, mm -hmm. I want, this is always a challenge I'd be talking about in the rabbinate. The big challenge for me was what I always considered like the, the barrier of entry. It was right. it was the it was the huge challenge of on the one hand you wanted to be an orthodox shul and you have to have an orthodox sort of the regular davening and the service and the way everybody you know the way everybody wanted it, but on the other hand if you do that then for anyone who is, didn't grow up with it or is bored by it they don't want to come you know what I'm saying because they want to be affiliated but they don't so you're always trying to find that level mm -hmm. between between uh, between openness and welcoming you know right. like I always thought about the the barrier of entry in many shuls if you think about it is page numbers. You go into a shul, are there page numbers? Because people <laughs> who, who haven't been to davening, they think about this. People who don't know how to daven, they want, they need the page numbers. They, they need it badly. But you'll see, very interesting, you'll see people who recoil at the fact that they daven in a shul where they have to tell people what the page numbers are. Like you right. Just, you know, when you walk into a shul, if you're listening, notice are there page numbers or not? Right. That's a big, big deal. So, I, I mean, of course, I believe every shul, every Agudas Israel, every shtibu should have page numbers because you want people to feel welcome. Because I don't care what you do in your personal life. I want you to come. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the choices that the community makes, the leadership, the covenantal community, right. whatever you want to call it, makes for as a community. Those right. are very so different. That's a great question. And again, I think that that's a question. I would say it like this. I think that our great community leaders have certainly felt at certain times that it was important to 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 articulate those red lines, right? And again, I think about Rav Lichtenstein, right? And I think about times when he has said, sorry, but if you say X, you are out, right? And I'm thinking of two instances, right, where he, he felt the need to say that, right? They both actually had to do with covenant, right? If you believe X about the covenant, you, you, you're not in my, I don't know the way he would say it, but like, that's a line for me, right? And Rav Lichtenstein would get up and say that. And, and I think that there is legitimacy and importance in, in doing that because we, especially for our great leaders, because we do want to preserve it for in, in clarity for people who are looking for leadership and looking for lines. Where are the lines, right? Just even a silly, I mean, it's not silly at all, but like, um, you, you know, is, is there dogma in Judaism is the question. Is that important? Is that not important? Is, it just, is that just theoretical or is that not theoretical? Right? There are actually questions that we do need leadership about to know, is that is that with like like not every where is that there has to be a line somewhere right and 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 we need people to tell us those lines that's that's how you preserve the system right that's that's what that's what halacha is about right that's what the whole halacha system is about like how do you preserve the system at the same time I think the question becomes and this is a really interesting question I think for today which is how who needs to, besides the question of like who needs to like draw those lines. Like, I don't need to do that, right? right. I mean, who are the police? Who gets to decide? Who are the police? And who needs to be the police? And part of me feels like, I don't know, maybe we're post-police. Maybe on certain things we're not, right? And again, I would leave it to our great leaders to be like, we are not post-police on this issue. 
And, and I admire that, people, you know, and when people say that, and I'm like, oh, that's a good point. I don't think we are post-police, right, on, on, on issue X and issue Y. My, my, my place that I would be like, I'd like to hear where, where our line is from, like, a great rabbinic leader, let's say about postmodernism. Where, where are our lines exactly, right? So I would like to hear where, where the line is. But, like, at the same time, I also feel like we can give ourselves the luxury of being like, a lot of issues, like, I'm just not post I'm just not the police. We are post-police. Like, we're strong enough, and, and our values are rooted enough, like, let people do what they want. Let people figure it out. Let people dance at the edges. Let people play with the edges. And let's let history kind of kind of develop as it does. And, and orthodoxy is going to be okay. Urbanic Judaism is going to be okay as long as there's, there's a solid kind of center of people who, who are really, A, we have leaders, and those leaders are creating a community that's really following that, that center place. And so, like, I'm less, I'm less concerned about what's going on at the margins and where people are drawing their lines. Like, yeah, Seder. You know what I'm saying? Like, if if we hold our center, um, and, and we have again leaders who are who are clear about what we believe, even if they're not so much going out and saying, "But this is a line," maybe they're having question marks about the line. But whatever it is, I think we're going to be okay. We don't have to start fighting police wars. That's what I would say. Yeah, but the problem is that's a very big if, right? And a lot of leaders have remained silent about things that they needed to spoken up about. There's a lot of ambiguity about things that actually halakha provides clarity. And because of that, uh, um, I wouldn't say necessarily, well, okay, lack of leadership and lack of inclusion where things should have been right. I think, as I say, we're seeing the, uh, the flip side of this. So that's, you know, if, if we care about lines, uh, it shouldn't just be about, am I orthodox and you reform and you conservative? But the lines need to be micro as well as macro. They need to be clear about, this is a line where that if you step over it, I can't see any uh, Jewish teaching that could justify such a position. But if you're within that line, you're good, you're safe. But unfortunately, we're not so great at the micro lines, while we're often good at putting the macro lines, the denominational ones, and in so doing, leaders, communities operate uh, often in their own subjective way, uh, alienate in, in many ways, and, and problems arise and people are hurt. And that has necessarily no bearing on this particular ceremony, but I think that that background is, is important. I mean, we, we shouldn't forget that the real advice, the great advice of Yochanan ben Zakei said on his deathbed is, Yotun Shehem Aleichem Kumar Adam. People should have a, as much fear of heaven as they have the fear of people. But in our world today, many uh, religious leaders, and I'm, I'm friends with many of them around the world, they're far more scared, unfortunately, about what their, uh, their rabbi down the road is going to say about them if they do this or if they don't do that. And that leads them often to... Well, Johnny, that goes both ways. Back. Or far more scared right. if, they, if, they, if they do say right. something, what the other side is going to say. Correct, but that, that whole pinball of what will the other person say often makes us lose sight of what does the Torah say? And I think the Torah is clear about certain things, I, uh, uh, both in terms of um, broad uh, behaviors. I think also the Torah is quite clear in terms of broad inclusion. Um, and we need to speak. If you want to speak for the Torah, you have to do both. Otherwise, you're just speaking according to your own agenda as well. Okay, okay. I, I want to turn to one last topic, which is, which is, we talk about labels or we talk about, you know, it's sociology, but I want to bring it down to the, into the real world as well, because it's not just labels and sociology, because the label or the term orthodox has real implications for people's lives in the real world. Because, because especially, in, and we'll bring this to the religious Zionist side, I want, to, I want to sort of focus on this just for a second. In, in the work that I do, helping people prove their Judaism, prove their, their you, know, you know, bona fides for the rabbinate of Israel, the, the chief rabbinate, for better and very often for worse, has, has aggregated a tremendous amount of power in determining who is considered halakhically Jewish in the world. And that has great ramifications, great, great ramifications for just people's lives, family lives, mm -hmm. conversions, adoptions, things of that nature. So when you talk about, so I just want to raise this point because when you talk about it's sociology and the lines are blurred and everyone can choose on their own. That might be true for their own personal desires, but there are, there are 
people there are there are are people and parties and affiliations with tremendous amounts of power that have effect that have the ability to affect and harm other people. I would say not even harm, but they think that they're doing something that's affiliated with the halakhic system. They think that they're doing something that's good for the Jewish people, that's defending the authenticity of the Jewish people. And so when when rabbis and leaders blur these lines, essentially what they're doing is they're pushing themselves, and I have to take to tell you this, their affiliates, their associates, out of the, whatever you want to call it, the realm of orthodoxy, out of the realm of this sociological group, thereby making the lives of their followers significantly more difficult and challenging over time. Am I not being clear enough? Do you understand what I'm saying? I I don't understand. I understand a lot of what you're saying except to the end. Okay, so if members who consider themselves open orthodox like officiate, if in officiate, Torah Chaim, whatever you want to call them, officiate, are willing to officiate at a same-sex marriage, and people who got smicha with them do not denounce them and do not disassociate from them, then I, I know for a fact that people in Israel look at that and say, okay, well, one second, what about their conversions? What about the marriages that they've done? What about the divorces that they've done? And sort and just in, put them outside of what you want to call the machane. It doesn't matter if, what you know, sociologically, whether I accept them or don't accept them, this is this is a fact. This is a reality. So so you have to ask yourself, what's my responsibility vis-a-vis my my community members? What's my responsibility vis-a-vis the the people that I have responsibility for, the children that I've converted when I make these decisions, and how the rest of the quote unquote orthodox world is going to react to that? Is, is that do you understand what I'm saying? And, and and I see this all the time. And then you either have to say to yourself, well, I can't control what the, you know, what the Haredim and the rabbinate are going to do, and I can fight that in that way. Or I say, I have a responsibility to these people, and therefore I have to take positions, real-world positions, that might not reflect my true inner desires, because I have a responsibility to ensure that, that the continuity of their children, that when their children come to marry in Israel, that the rabbinate will allow them, some, somebody in some rabbinate will allow them to marry because they're considered Jewish. This is a real world issue. You might not like it. You might not agree with it, but it's very, very real. You know, I, I, you know, I was just yesterday teaching the two Chuvot Ravavad Yosef about uh, the status of Ethiopian Jews. In 1973, he said, I believe they're Jewish, but given there was only a few hundred uh, who came to Israel, pragmatically, he was prepared to agree with the position of Rav Herzog and suggest Yul because he said, and he was able to also speak to that group of Ethiopian Jews and say, listen, I view you as Jewish, but I, I just want you uh, to kind of be completely ac- accepted within the wide Israeli population. So although I, it doesn't uh, change the way I look at you, I'm just going to give you some advice and jump through that hoop. However, in 1985, when thousands upon thousands came to Israel, he said, I'm not prepared to do that. Uh, when you've got a small group and I can speak individually to, to people, and it's a pragmatic suggestion, but I'm not going to defame uh, a huge population just to show my uh, allegiance to Rav Herzog. And he basically said, uh, in 1985, you're Jews, you do not need to do Giyol Um What I suggested 12 years ago was only because of, of a, a particular situation and a particular uh, small community. Now, we can debate both positions for Ravadja mm-hmm. and many mm-hmm. people have. Nevertheless, what we learn from those two snapshots is sometimes when you deal with uh, small-scale issues, you need to balance pragmatism and idealism. Ravadja basically said, I, I, I see you as Jews, but I'm also a pragmatist. When it came down to a larger population, he said, I'm prepared to carry on my shoulders a position that uh, many, many of my other rabbinic colleagues took to be absolutely wrong. And that's what he did, and and the, and the story continued on like that. I think that kind of model is uh, applicable here too. There are times where an individual person um, may say, it goes against my conscience to require this of you, but for a small set group of people, in order to make sure that your life is a little bit easier, I'm going to suggest something which is a humra, basically. Yeah. Nevertheless, when it's a wider scale issue, when it's more public issue, to be perfectly blunt, when it's about... Uh, a, a problem that addresses our, our, our much more uh, significant population, you have to individuate between Khumra and Din. And that's what Ravavadja did, you know, for good or for bad. And, and that's uh, 
a wider conversation. So, I'm, I'm a little unclear. So, what are you question, saying in this case? What, I'm, I'm, which right, way are you going? Okay, I think what you were suggesting is sometimes, and um, maybe I misunderstood you. Sometimes uh, rabbis are put in a position of holding uh, opinions that they themselves may not fully agree with, but for a wider, shall we say, global, religious, quasi-political uh, agenda or endpoint. And to what extent, how far do you go down that line? I think it depends, basically, on how many people's lives it affects and, and how it can be explained and justified um, for good and for bad. But uh, I, I'll just say something slightly different. It's, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience, I'm sure all of us have, where you go to a particular place, let's say a shiver uh, or, or a certain school, and people say, we've been doing it this way, this person said it was okay. And you realize that what that person said has no justification. And you have a choice, either you honor what the, the, the preceding rabbi or leader did, even though you don't quite agree with it, or you say they're wrong, and that creates obviously some kind of stir, some kind of controversy. And... I think the simple answer is, if it's a small thing and you think there could be some justification for that pride position, you try and maintain the peace. But if it's a fundamental thing, if it's something that you feel you have to take a stand on, even though you're not trying to go out and go after the, the previous leader, you may well see, need to say, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable with this, and, and we do it in a different way you know, on my watch. So that's perhaps over the general response, but that's my response to your question. Yeah, I, I, thank you. I just want to point out, you know, we talked in the beginning about, you know, performing homosexual marriages, about things being outside the realm of orthodoxy beyond halakha on one side. And I want to point out that in my position, like I, a friend of mine pointed this out to me, what the rabbinate is doing vis-a-vis Yishirei Yahadut, that's not halakha. Anybody who knows the Shulchan Aruch knows that's not halakha. That's orthodoxy in the name of orthodoxy, and the total other end of the spectrum, having nothing to do with halakha, but you know, wielding of power or the wielding of ability. So, so it goes, it's very interesting when you think about it, that this trend goes in both ways, that there's bending of orthodoxy, anti-halakha on the right and on the left, and, and, and people are guilty of it on both sides. So Molly, can you, what do you think about, just to, we'll finish off with this, can you comment on the idea of the idea of pragmatist orthodoxy when real lives are at stake? What, what's right. it, what do you okay, think about so it? I, I'm glad that Johnny answered first because he articulates things always so well. Um, and I agree with him. I think that um, when there are times where you want to um, dramatically, right, accept, go lechumra, right, and say, you know, like in that case of Ravavadja, um, there may be times and places to do that pragmatically, but I, I think it is important to be clear to yourself and to your community that you are what you're doing now is l'chumra. Um, I think that that what you're talking about, it, 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 you know, like well, the fear that 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 if I say X halachically, I will be excluded, um, and therefore I should be looking over my shoulder to the right. You play a very dangerous game. Um, because we, we, we know of rabbis who have been possled, their gay, their gay has been possled, and we know that it's completely outrageous, right? So, like, if you give the power to other people, right, and you, you look over your shoulder and say, like, well, it, in my fear of, you can't do that. Again, you have to stand in your integrity. And I think that that's really the answer. I think the answer is that, like, if you're going to decide that, that like, as Johnny said, sometimes you want to make room for a more, a position that's more machmir, then you can do that and you say that. But you also have to be, we have to create a, a, a cadre of leaders who can impress enough people with their halachic, spiritual, and ethical integrity that, like, you know, we, we fight the stranglehold on the rabbanut in many ways. And again, we don't have to go into the politics of this, but you do that. And, and, you know, we all know many people who are doing that. And I think it's actually very, very positive de development within um, the, the religious Orthodox, the religious Zionist community in Israel. And, um, you know, we, that could be, a, you know, an, an elections conversation, right, about what <laughs> receiving all this power. Let's not cede the power. Let's, let's, again, let's stand in our integrity, our halachic, our religious, our ethical, our spiritual integrity. We have the leadership. We have the brain power. We have the the um the spiritual power we're here already we, we just we don't have to be so afraid we can be there, there, there's a, there are enough of us to create a, a strong um you know leadership and if that means working within the rabbanut 
fabulous. I also would like to work within the Rabbanut. And if that means challenging the Rabbanut, then let's challenge the Rabbanut again from a place of halakha commitment with, with, with leaders that we believe are really, really um, respected and respectable. And we all know who they are. Um, and, you know, if, if individual X wants to do something, then, then okay, then individual X will do something and we'll worry about that later. But, you know, like, I'm not worried about that guy on the far left fringe because he's a, he, that's not where I'm worried about where I am, which is much more in the center. And so, like, I have enough work here. And if I do my work here and I do my work here well, then, then, then okay, then, 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 then we'll create a system that will know how to deal with all of those cases in a positive and healthy way. Okay. I think that's a good place to, Johnny, do you want to add something or we're, we're good? No, I was, I was simply going mean, to say that we've said on, on a number of occasions, and I teach about this a lot, that there is a distinction between psak and policy. Uh, not just the rabbi not to acknowledge that, but every posek needs to acknowledge that there are times when you decide just, shall we say, to the law, and there are times when your psika needs to take far, far more wider considerations um, uh, in play. So I, I agree with Mali entirely. What you need to do is be clear which is which, but there'll be times where both uh, are called upon from all people um, in all situations. But knowing uh, when, like I mentioned with Ravadja, when you need to invoke both, and when you say, I'm passing a din here, there's too much at stake, I think that's where true wisdom comes. Okay, I think it's a great place to stop. I want to thank you both for this uh, really fascinating discussion. Uh, which is a challenging one, and I appreciate your willingness to, to engage. Um, I want to thank Rabbi Johnny Solomon, Rabbi Mali Brosky. My name is Ruben Spolter. This is RZ Weekly. We'd love to hear your comments. People have been commenting either on our Facebook page or you can send each of us an email. We're at that to find on the internet. I want to thank my son, Kathy Spolter, for writing our music. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you all again next week. Have a great day.